Return to the Word is made possible by faithful supporters like you. Find out more at returntotheword.com. Welcome to another edition of Return to the Word Radio with Bible teacher Mark Fontecchio. Advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now with today's message, here is our teacher. I like the story of Marie Brunner. Her husband was unemployed, so she supported their three young children by cleaning other people's homes. But even even without a job, her husband managed to run up quite a number of parking tickets. And the bill was almost $5,000. That's a lot of parking tickets. Mr. Brunner kept the tickets a secret from his wife, but as the owner of the vehicle, she was the one responsible. Now, Maria, she couldn't pay the fine. She just simply could not. So unless her husband came up with the money, she would spend three months behind bars in her small town in Germany. But her reaction to this whole situation is what I like so much. She said, quote, I've had enough of scraping a living for the family. And as long as I get food and a hot shower every day, I don't mind being sent to jail. I can finally get some rest and relaxation. And this lady, she actually meant it. Police tell us that when they went to arrest Maria, they said, quote, she seemed really, really excited and happy to see us. And repeatedly she thanked us for arresting her. While most people taken into custody hide their heads in shame, not Maria. She smiled and waved as she was driven off to jail. I like her style, but probably not the vacation you're looking for. But maybe you do find yourself this morning looking for that peace and quiet in your life. Maybe you find yourself looking for that joy. Well, I think the Apostle Paul found it, and he had a lot more going on than just some unpaid parking tickets. Because Paul had to learn that it is possible to live with joy even when life is very, very difficult. But this joy only comes when we learn to live for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the exaltation of Christ above everything else in life. Let's take a look. Join me in Philippians chapter 1, where Paul tells us, starting in verse 12, he says, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Paul was a man whose life was radically changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Once his eyes were opened to what it means to really know God, he felt a burden to spread the message. And this is why he said in Romans 15, 20, and so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. You see, Paul had a passion to bring the gospel of Christ to places it had not been heard. He didn't want to build on someone else's foundation. Paul had a dream to go to the city of Rome, the capital of the Roman Empire, to proclaim the gospel there. It was the hub of the Roman Empire. About a million souls lived in Rome. And Paul said in Acts 19.21, after I've been there, meaning Jerusalem, I must also see Rome. 
And then what did Paul want to go on to do? He wanted to go on to Spain, continuing west with the gospel message. And Paul is reporting how things had worked out for him. This is why he says in verse 12, I want you to know, brethren, whenever you see that in Paul's letters, stop, pay attention, because he's about to tell you something pretty important. Paul is telling the church what happened to him since the Christians at Philippi had seen him last. It's been about six years Paul doesn't say much, does he? He just says, the things that have happened to me. Understated very much so because Paul was a very humble man. Here is what happened to him in those six years. In Acts 21, Paul was falsely accused and arrested in Jerusalem. In Acts 22, he is almost mobbed and scourged. Then in Acts 23, he is struck on the mouth before a Jewish court. Then in Acts 24, he's transferred to Caesarea under armed guard because the Jews tried to kill him in Jerusalem. In Acts 25 and 26, Paul gets stuck in prison for two years. Why? Because he refused to bribe a governor. Then in Acts 27, he's shipwrecked on his way to Rome, waiting on the island of Malta for three months. And then in Acts 28, he's placed under house arrest in Rome, chained to a guard 24 hours a day while waiting to be put on trial before Caesar himself. Caesar at that time was Nero a madman. This guy was crazy. This was the man who would have Christians burned at night in order to light up his garden. Nero was a brutal and vile, disgusting man. Paul was under arrest, about to face this guy, this crazy guy. These are the things that happened to Paul, and yet he says, through it all, I found joy. Why? Because the things he went through advanced the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, this passage that we're in this morning can change your life if you let it. Paul is telling the church, life has not gone the way I thought it would these last six years. It didn't work out as I had planned. I'm under arrest. But hey, it's okay because the gospel of Jesus Christ is going forward. It's advancing. Now, Paul used a military term to refer to the advance of an army nearing victory. Paul wrote this in a time and place where Caesar was worshipped as Savior. Caesar was thought to be a god. He was feared. He was honored. He was celebrated. Statues were put up all throughout the Roman Empire, and temples were built to honor Caesar as a god. Priests even had to offer public prayers for him. He was their king, and his actions could not be questioned. Whenever a new man was proclaimed to be Caesar, they announced it with the word gospel. That's the word they used. They would say, hear the gospel, literally, hear the good news. Nero is now Caesar. He is king. He rules over the world. Now that should give us some perspective, doesn't it, to verse 12 in our text, this staggering nature of Paul's claim here. You see, Paul is under arrest by Nero's soldiers. Nero was thought to be a god, and Paul says, here I am in Rome under arrest, chained to a Roman soldier, and the gospel is advancing as I sit in this guy's prison because there's a true king 
And his name is Jesus Christ. And he reigns, not this guy named Nero in Rome. Being in prison was helping Paul advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. But this was only true because Paul had first determined something in his own life, in his mind, and in his walk, how he would live as a Christian. You see, Paul found this joy in the work of sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Joy can be found when God's people live for the proclamation of Jesus Christ, not the promotion of ourselves. This is where Paul found joy, even in prison, even when people were trying to make it very, very hard for him. Because Paul knew the simple truth of Scripture that there are no accidents with God. And I think Paul also knew better than all of us that everything can be taken from man except for one thing. You see, the last freedom that we have is to choose our attitude when we face tough circumstances. Because if we choose to make happiness our focus, we are always going to find ourselves coming up short. We'll be victims of our circumstance. But if we make the gospel of Jesus Christ our focus, if we make his joy in our life our focus, and our worship of him our focus, we will find that we have a freedom that can never, ever be taken away from us. You see, joy does not come from the external. It comes from within. It comes from Jesus Christ. You'd better learn this, Christian, because you will be miserable in your life until you do. You will find your inner peace in life tossed around back and forth when the events of life hit you that are beyond control. But if we choose, if we choose to live in Christ, if we choose to make our focus on his joy and let this be our attitude, it becomes a freedom that can never, ever, ever be taken away from us. People that have found the joy of Christ are content You could see it in their lives. They're at peace. They are at peace even in those storms of life. They're depending on Jesus Christ. They're depending on him and his joy found in his spirit within, focused on Christ. And so they have joy now. It's something they live with every day because they know they have it in Jesus Christ. But then there's all these Christians walking around without this joy. And these are the people that always need things, need stuff, toys, before they ever can be happy. They are chasing things. These are the Christians that are always looking for other people to provide happiness for them. Someday they hope to be happy, but they never, ever get there. Hear me carefully. I'm not talking about just choosing to be happy. That's not the point. I'm not talking about just choosing to have a positive attitude. I'm not talking about self-help or just having this positive mindset because that is really just a bunch of garbage. I'm talking about the renewal of the mind, as Paul says in Romans 12 too. The joyful disposition that comes as we let the Spirit of God renew our minds with the Word of God. It is the internal work of God in us. It is to set our mind on the things of God, on the things of Christ. Paul is going to tell us this in chapter 4 when he says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. 
And then he says, these things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do and the God of peace will be with you. Paul is saying, set your mind on the things of God. That's when you're going to find his peace in your life. In chapter 4, Paul is telling us how to do it. In chapter 1, Paul is showing us how he did it. Paul didn't see himself as a victim, did he? Paul saw himself as resting in the peace of Christ. He saw his chains as a megaphone to get the gospel of Christ into the barracks of the Roman soldiers. There's other men who have lived like this. This guy's name was Charles Simeon. He was a pastor in the Church of England for 54 years, starting in the year 1782 at Trinity Church in Cambridge. Now, he was appointed to this church by a bishop against the will of the people. They didn't like him, not because he was a bad preacher, but because this was the Church of England, which was most of what there was in that land at that time. And Charles didn't believe like most of the Church of England did. He believed in salvation by grace through faith. Charles believed in the gospel of Christ. He believed the Bible. And he believed that Christians have an obligation to preach Christ, to share Christ. And these people in this church were having none of it, just none of it. So for 12 years, here's what they did. The people refused, absolutely refused to let him give the Sunday afternoon sermon. And during that time, they boycotted the Sunday morning service. Then they locked the pews together. They took them and they chained them together. They actually locked the pews together so that no one could sit in them. So what did Charles have to do? He had to sit there and preach to people in the aisles for 12 years. Today, you can't get a pastor to stay for more than two or three years. Charles stayed in that church for 54 years preaching the gospel of Christ. And he battled for 12 years because he was committed to Christ and he was committed to enduring the opposition for the sake of advancing the gospel of Christ. Sounds a little bit like the Apostle Paul, doesn't it? Paul says the gospel was advancing. How? Well, two reasons. Two reasons that he gives. First, in verse 13, he says, So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. The palace guard. Some of your translations say imperial guard. The Imperial Guard was a group of 9,000 soldiers in the city of Rome who guarded Caesar. These were highly trained, elite soldiers. They did the will of Caesar. Paul is telling us here that these 9,000 soldiers, they were hearing the true gospel message. They were hearing about the true king. So how did Paul do this? Well, how did Paul get this message out, the message of Christ to these 9,000 elite soldiers? Well, remember what we said. He was under house arrest. He was under arrest and he was chained to a Roman soldier for six-hour shifts. And the soldiers that he was chained to would constantly rotate. And this went on for a couple of years. So what do you think that Paul was sitting there talking about for these six-hour shifts? 
He told them stories about the man he used to be, his encounter with Jesus Christ, how Jesus had changed him. He told stories of the things he had seen Jesus do in all the cities throughout the Roman Empire. Not all 9,000 soldiers actually guarded Paul, but those that did, they sure heard about it, didn't they? This guy just kept talking about it, and it started to spread. So these stories about Paul and his savior and his king, they began to spread throughout the whole Roman imperial guard. Imagine yourself as one of these soldiers chained to a man who prayed all the time. A man who's constantly asking you about your spiritual condition before God. A man who is writing the letters to other Christians throughout the Roman Empire and then writing letters to other churches throughout the empire. And these guys were stuck. They were stuck listening to him. And they couldn't even beat him into silence because he was a Roman citizen. So they had no other choice than for six hours at a time to just sit and listen to Paul. See, Paul was able to get the gospel into the elite palace guard, something he could have never have done if he had been a free man. God cleared a way. God cleared a way for Paul to be able to share the gospel of Christ with the elite soldiers of the Roman military. And he's going to tell us in chapter 4 that it even went further because there Paul writes, he says, all the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. Even the royal house of Caesar had been impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Probably not Nero's family, but the gospel might have reached all the way to the staff of the emperor of Rome. Do you see what God can do when instead of seeing ourselves as victims of life, we start seeing ourselves as ambassadors for Jesus Christ? There's a big difference. Paul says, it has become obvious to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Paul's case could not be more important. The Roman government had yet to decide if the Christians throughout the empire were a part of the Jews and illegal religion, or was this something new and dangerous or something that was forbidden? Paul shared Christ. Paul just kept preaching Jesus Christ. And that's the lesson. When you feel chained down in life, look at your struggles as opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you learn this little principle, when you learn to make his work in your life your focus, you will find yourself thanking God for what he did instead of sitting around like a parked car in life complaining what God did not do. Paul didn't ask, why did this happen to me? He asked, how is God using this for his work? And then something else happened. Take a look at verse 14. He says, And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul is giving the second reason the gospel is advancing. Persecution gives other Christians a backbone. This is why in different countries scattered throughout the world, if you look closely, you can see the history of men and women who rose up under persecution. South Korea comes to mind. In South Korea, there is a place called the Foreign Mission Cemetery. It isn't much. It isn't much at all. It was started all the way back in 1890. It was built to honor 145 missionaries who all died in their adopted country. 
Some of the gravestones there date back more than 100 years. Some faced persecution under the brutal rule of the Japanese. Others came there to care for orphans or translate the Bible into Korean. Two women are buried there who went to Korea to start a young school for girls. And another came as a medical missionary, and she also developed Braille for the Korean language while establishing a school for the blind. Or then you have people like this guy, Samuel Moore. He gave medical treatment to a butcher deathly sick with typhoid fever. The butcher survived and became a Christian, only to find out that no church would admit him in, because in their culture, butchers and anyone who dealt with dead things were a part of that lowest social class. So more, he started a butcher's church for outcasts and social underdogs. Then in 1906, Samuel died of typhoid fever at the age of 46. See, if you study the lives of the men and women buried in this cemetery, you will find hardships that most of us are never ever going to have to face. Many of these missionaries lost their children buried in small graves beside them. But the fruit of their labor, it lives on. The fruit of their lives is so much more than just a small, worn-out cemetery in South Korea. Because if you travel there, if you go to South Korea, you're going to find schools, libraries, hospitals, churches, dotting the landscape of the country, all started because of the work of Jesus Christ. Simply because... People buried in this cemetery, they took the hardships they faced and they continued to double down. They preached Christ. Persecution gives other Christians a backbone because people look and see someone stand up for Jesus Christ and say, hey, there's someone who is willing to stand up for what they believe. There's someone who believes it so much that he's going to choose to suffer for it. It's in his veins. People can tell. People can tell the difference, can't they? People can tell when they run into a Christian who really believes the Word of God and is not just going through the motions. So what do they do? They start waking up in their own life. They start stepping up. People will become stronger in their faith if they see you, Christian, stand up for Jesus Christ. And that is exactly what happened in Rome. Other Christians started to preach the gospel. They saw Paul in prison for the gospel, and this strengthened them. This emboldened them. Not just that Paul was in prison. That's not it. But how Paul responded when he was in prison with joy, love, and still preaching Jesus Christ. Paul says most of the brethren found the confidence to speak the word of God without fear. It's the responsibility of every one of us. The Greek word for speak implies that the word of God had become a part of their everyday conversation. But some did have the wrong motives. Paul tells us this in verse 15. He says, some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. Paul knew that some Christians do things for the wrong reasons. This is never going to change this side of glory. Jealousy had set in because some of these men wanted to be the center of attention. That happens. And with Paul out of the way, they thought, hey, we could gain a crowd for ourselves. We can gain an audience. We can get people to follow us. And some of the Christians that preach Christ even had all the right beliefs, but they were selfish and they were mean. Christians like this still come around. 
wanting to be upstage, wanting to be in the spotlight, but they never volunteer to sweep the floor. God's never leading them to unclog a toilet or to shovel snow. There's always going to be immature Christians looking for the spotlight instead of looking to promote Jesus Christ because their private lives don't match what they're proclaiming in public. Paul tells us these men had a goal of getting people to follow them. Paul says, my goal is not that. My goal is to get you to follow Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm not going to let it bother me because a lot of people do have the right motive. The gospel of Jesus Christ is going out and I'm excited about that. You see, other men were picking up the torch of the gospel and taking it to cities that Paul could not reach. Think of men like Timothy, think of Luke, think of John Mark. Here is what you notice with Paul if you study his life and his ministry. Paul lived free in Christ. You see, when he entered a city and proclaimed the gospel of Christ, things got turned upside down. There was riots at times. But if you look at his life, he would go into a city and be told he couldn't preach Jesus Christ. Otherwise, he'd be thrown into prison. But Paul didn't care. He would just preach in prison. It didn't matter. If you put Paul and Silas in prison like they had done when Paul was first at Philippi, Paul would pray. Paul would sing hymns to God. Then God shook the earth and Acts 16 tells us the doors of the prison were opened. And if you told Paul that you're going to kill him for the gospel, his response would just be, hey, that's fine. Then I get to go be with my savior. You see, you couldn't mess with Paul. You couldn't discourage Paul because his life was built on Jesus. It was built on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pick up our text with verse 16. It says, the former preached Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, notice, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. Now, some of the manuscripts, if you're following along in your own Bible, you're going to notice some things here. Some of the manuscripts, some of the translations reverse the order of these two verses. Selfish ambition. Here's what Paul is driving at. The word gives the picture of a politician trying to canvas. That's literally what it means, trying to canvas for people to follow them. See, these guys were looking out for themselves, promoting themselves at the expense of Paul. Paul took comfort that no matter the motives, Jesus Christ was preached, meaning he didn't have a problem with their message. These guys even preached the right doctrine. But there was a sin issue. Their character didn't match their identity in Christ. They were looking to stir up trouble, attack the messenger. And if they thought that Paul would be jealous of their success, they failed to consider the greatness of the man. Paul was not looking to promote himself, was he? He was looking to promote Jesus Christ. Now, some recognized that Paul was in prison for a purpose, for the gospel. Some recognized the call to preach in love. And let me just say this, that love for God, love for God's people, and love for the word of God should be the motive of any man that ever steps into this pulpit here in this church. Notice some of the most important words in this entire passage. They are found in verse 17 where Paul says, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. Some translations have it in verse 16 and translated, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. 
Paul looked at his prison. He looks at the guards that are chained to him and he says, I have been put here that there are no accidents with God. I think here's what Paul's discovered. That sometimes God has a greater plan for us than we have for ourselves. Being under arrest, awaiting trial. Most people would look at this and have a pity party. Most people would look at this and, and start to say, hey, I can't advance the gospel anymore. I'm under arrest. I'm chained to a Roman guard. But Paul had his plans and God had greater plans than Paul had for himself in the city of Rome. You see, a lot of Christians are living like the 15-year-old girl who changed the 23rd Psalm. You know the 23rd Psalm. It's the most famous Psalm in the Bible where the Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd. But here's what she wrote instead. She wrote, I have no shepherd. I need a shepherd. I'm caught in the desert. I'm thirsty and no one is telling me where to go. I'm lost and no one cares. I'm scared of evil because I'm alone. I'm the strongest thing in my life. There is no greater or more powerful being to comfort or protect me. I must be alone with my enemies with no one to help me. The cup of my life and my soul are empty and dry. I seek after goodness and mercy, but never find it. I have no home. Nothing is certain. That's a desperate picture, isn't it? But that's how a lot of Christians live. That's exactly how a lot of Christians live today. We live as though we have no shepherd or that we are the shepherd, as if God is somehow not there. But for the redeemed in Christ, the Lord is our shepherd. Now, he's not going to give you everything you want. And life is not going to go how you planned it because you're not God. He is. The Lord is our shepherd shepherd. He guides. He leads. He is sovereign. He is wise. And oh, he is good. He's sovereign. He has all of creation in his hand. Nothing is outside of his power. He's wise. He knows exactly what he's doing in your life. He's smarter than you or I, way smarter. And he's good. He loves you, Christian. He wants what is best for you. You guys know Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, where it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, it boils down to this. Either we trust God day by day and his path, or we trust ourselves in our plans. Doesn't Paul tell us in Romans 8.28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, this is a stunning truth of Scripture, isn't it? All things that happen to you and that you have done, God works together for good. Meaning, all the bad stuff that's happened in your life, all the hard stuff, he uses it all. God will work it together for good because he's God and he's good and he loves you. This means something. This means you and I are never out of the mind of God. You see, there's an unspeakable comfort that comes here in knowing that God is constantly watching over me for my good. There's a great relief in knowing that his love already knows the worst of me. He already knows all the bad things I'm going to do in the future. That his love for me is not dependent upon whether I walk with him or stumble in my faith. God is committed to us, watching over us. 
And so Paul says to the church of Philippi, I've been appointed for this, for the defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God had brought him to this place in time for the defense of the gospel. Within just 30 years, that's not that long of a time. Within just 30 years, the gospel of Christ had gone from humble beginnings in Judea to now being defended before Caesar in Rome itself. That's God at work. One more verse we read in verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Preaching Christ just means here to speak Christ. See, Paul knew that in a city of millions, men would go out and preach Christ with the wrong motive. Paul couldn't do anything about it. Just like we're not responsible Christians for everything that goes on in other churches throughout the valley. It's not our responsibility. Their motives are between them and God. But Paul says, I rejoice in all this. He's under arrest and the gospel is advancing. And other people are sharing Jesus Christ. Paul could rejoice in this because the gospel is not about any man. It is about Christ. Now, this wasn't Paul's first plan. I mean, I can picture Paul rather having gone to Rome as a free man, getting to hang out in homes and preach the gospel and enjoy the fellowship of the saints and then go on to Spain and preach the gospel there. That would have been much more comfortable for Paul. But God had a different plan. Paul's prison became a pulpit. He reached people he never could have reached if God would have followed Paul's plan. The toughest Roman soldiers, the imperial guard, they're not going to stroll into some church, in some house church, and hear the gospel of Christ. But they did now, didn't they? They heard the gospel of Christ because God had placed Paul right exactly where he wanted them. Paul rejoiced, not in the hope of freedom for himself, but that he had liberty to preach Christ. And I would say that some of you I know are in your own prisons right now. Maybe life didn't turn out the way that you thought it would, and you're struggling in your life. But I want you to know that Christ is deeper than whatever you're going through. You can't see everything he's going to do, but his wisdom is deeper, and his love is deeper than all your troubles. Let me close this morning by telling you about this man. His name was George Chen. George became a Christian in China. He began to preach Christ as soon as he became a Christian. Nothing held this guy back. Over the next few years, he was arrested a number of times for preaching the gospel. That's all he had done wrong was just sit there and preach Christ. But as things got worse in China in the late 60s and 70s, Houses were searched and Bibles were seized and burned. And many, many pastors died for their faith. And they had to live in constant jeopardy of being taken away by the government. But this didn't stop George. He just kept simply preaching Jesus Christ. He continued to preach until the day came when he was arrested and he was thrown into prison. And when the iron gate slammed shut behind him, it would be 18 years before he would know freedom again for himself. Being a pastor didn't help him in prison. The guards wanted to make an example out of him. So they forced him to work in the prison sewer. See, what they did is they filled pots 
with the sewer mess, the human waste from all the prison barracks. And then they would empty those pots into a giant cesspool. And the guards, they wanted to break him, to indoctrinate him with the communist propaganda. And he was so hungry at times, he honestly considered eating toothpaste as his meal. He was separated from his wife and he was separated from his small, young church. While he was in prison, his wife did die. And one of the greatest hardships that he faced was that he had no privacy to worship. He had no ability to sit and just pray out loud or read the scriptures or memorize scripture because he was constantly being watched. He couldn't get away from the guards. And so he prayed. He started to pray that God would allow him a place where he could be alone so he could just enjoy some fellowship with God. Well, soon the prison officials gave him a new assignment. They assigned him the camp cesspool, the sewer pit where he had to work. It served 60,000 prisoners. And his assignment was to sit there and scoop out human waste to be used as fertilizer. Well, of course, no one else wanted the job because it was lonely. It was disgusting. It was repulsive and stinky. And they feared getting sick from disease. His heart was broken when he got assigned to the sewer pit. But day after day, working in this pit, he wondered if his prayers were heard. To withstand the hardship, he started singing. And he started praying. And he started quoting scripture out loud. And one day it dawned on him that his assignment was a specific answer to prayer. Because of the stench, the guards left him alone. He could pray, he could sing, and quote scripture as loud as he wanted without getting into trouble. This is what he had prayed for so long before. And so George began to live differently. He began to thank God and rejoice because there was no one to hear them except for God. And he was assigned to the sewer pit for six years. Can you imagine? Six years of hauling that stuff. And George never did get sick from it. After 18 years of prison, he went back to his home to see if this tiny little house church was still there. But what he didn't know was that God was still working in his people. You see, that little house church movement had grown to over 5,000 Christians. Because, hear me, no matter what men may try, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a work of God. It cannot and it will not be stopped. Pastor Chen learned exactly what the Apostle Paul did, that the key to rejoicing is not looking for perfect circumstances. Hear me on this. It is to make Christ and his work the center of our lives. I believe joy can be found in the worst of any prison. If you want to find real joy, then make your focus on the gospel of Christ, not on yourself. No matter what chains you face, no matter what prison you are in. Look for ways in your life to advance the gospel of Christ, because now you're on a mission, aren't you? Now you're on a mission instead of living in misery. You know, when I think of Paul, what do you think of? Ask yourself this. What do you think of when you think of this man? I think of an apostle. I think of a missionary. I think of a preacher. I think of a man of faith. But one word does not come to mind. The word victim You see, this passage in Philippians 1, it only works because the gospel is what Paul cared about most in his life. If comfort was first, 
Paul couldn't say what he did. If Paul's focus was comfort, this would be a very different passage because, hey, it's not comfortable to sit in prison and it's not comfortable to have your plans in life changed around. So learn, learn to put the gospel at the very center of your life, the center of your thinking, at the center of everything you do, because any other goal that you have in life, it will let you down. But if the message, the message of Jesus Christ is at the center of your life, you're not going to be let down because Christ will be glorified in his time and his way according to his plan. Now, some of you are feeling a little chained down in life, and I get that. I've walked those paths myself. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's that horrible feeling of being alone, problems with your health, or a horrible dead-end job. Each of us has our own chains, but you can learn in Christ to turn your prison into a platform to proclaim Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ is our center, here's what happens. He calms our fears about our future and about our life. Serve Christ today. Trust the Savior with tomorrow. Trust his work in your life. And learn to tell other people about him because then his joy and peace will find a home in your life. As Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 3, he said, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word.